right, if you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. We're still trucking through the book of Hebrews chapter 12. I had two preachers preach for me last Sunday because I knew I'd be hung over from that wedding. Amen. And so uh, uh, sleepy. But, you know, I, was, I woke up very energetic. And then I preached six hours this weekend up in Pigeon Ford. And so I feel tireder today than I did last week. Amen. Praise God. We had a wonderful, wonderful uh, marriage retreat with Old Swanee, oldest church in Georgia, 178 years old. Pastor's a little younger than that, but uh, praise God. You know, Brother Jason was talking about uh, technology, how we don't know how to work it and everything. Uh, I found out last Sunday night in the prayer room that I don't know how to work anything. It goes with a cell phone. Uh, I was... Just praying, I thought I was in the spirit. I was agreeing with uh, Brother Blaine. He was praying on the back row. And all of a sudden, uh, Siri started making these comments about our prayer meeting. And I started hitting buttons and pushing buttons and pushing buttons. And I couldn't get her to turn off, couldn't get her to shut up. I mean, I couldn't get her to be quiet. And, uh, and finally, I just gave up. And I said, well, I'll just out talk her. And I started yelling, oh, Lord. And, uh, and I was praying. I was going to get in the spirit again, amen. And she commented back, I can't find him in your contacts. <laughs> so um, I'm going to plant the thing in Miss Connie's pocketbook tonight, and y'all can laugh at her, amen. And some of y'all just wasn't praying like you should. You was laughing at the preacher's dilemma of this technology ignorance. But um, I'm glad I have him in my contacts. But I'm glad he has me in his contacts, amen? And I don't have to pay $79.95 a month to get in contact because he paid with his precious blood, amen? But I thought that's funny, and I like to laugh at myself sometimes so you can laugh. And if I didn't laugh at myself, it'd be depressing. But anyway, look at Hebrews chapter 12. We're going to talk about why the devil whips you, I mean, why the Lord whips you, and the devil will whip you if you don't stay in his in his will, the Lord's will, and I got some statistics here I want to share with you about uh, fatherless homes in just a minute. We have a dilemma, and we have a crisis, we have a culture war in, in America, and uh, folks, we're in a warfare. And by the way, I'm going to talk about chastening of the Lord. Uh, you better thank God for the mercy of God, because we deserve far worse than this pandemic as a nation. We've kicked him out of school. We've kicked him out of the courthouse. We've kicked his Ten Commandments out of the courthouse. Uh, some churches have kicked God out of the out of the church. You know, it's all celebrities now and praise teams and rock and roll music. Wednesday night, I preached one of the hardest messages I ever preached against the contemporary movement and the and the seeker sensitive church. It ought to be a savior sensitive church. And I said, you know, I looked over those. Teenagers listen. I said, they're going to get turned off at this. This is going to be terrible. They're going to think this is the funniest, dud, old-fashioned, uh, crummy church they ever visited. I don't know why that thought come through my mind. That was the devil. But I'm going to tell you what happened at the end of the service. All three of the teenage boys walked down the aisle. Two of them got assurance salvation. One got saved. And then the sister met me in the hallway and said, I, you know, I wanted to get saved too, but I'm too shy. And Miss Tiffany led her to the Lord on the way home. Praise God. So I'm going to tell you something. Righteousness exalts a nation. Sin is reproach to any people. So don't ever criticize the preacher when he preaches against sin and worldlyism. And uh, folks, we need to preach against it because I'm going to tell you something. We're under the judgment hand of God if we don't get right with God. Righteousness exalts a nation. But sin is reproach to any people. In Hebrews chapter 12, we see the Lord began to discipline his runners. Uh, there's an illustration here, the prompting uh, of consecration, which means total dedication, total surrender. Uh, the witnesses are the sp not spectators up in heaven. A lot of people take this verse and say, well, everybody's looking at us, so we got to be right, we got to do right. Uh, there's a cloud of witnesses from heaven. I don't think that's scriptural because I don't believe there is a bunch of people uh, looking at us from heaven because they're so enamored by the throne of God and heaven, they ain't got time to look at us. As a matter of fact, there is no depression in heaven. And the way some of us act, it would depress them in heaven. Amen. So 
you know, maybe the, maybe God opens the, uh, the the doors a little bit sometimes, and let's you know when loved ones get you know when loved ones get saved, and you rejoice. But I believe this cloud of witnesses is explained by the wherefore, the verse first, the first word wherefore, folks. It points back to all those people in Hebrews eleven that are witnesses that God is reliable, that God is able, and that God will bless faith. Maybe not on this earth as verses 33 through the end of the chapter of Hebrews 11, but certainly in the next. Amen? What a reward there's going to be for faithfulness. And I appreciate your faithfulness. I appreciate our assistant pastor's faithfulness. You know, he's the virus Gestapo around here. And everybody, and he, you know, he's, I, I think sometimes everybody hates me. I said, I don't hate you. I mean, we hate rules, we hate regulations, but he's just looking out for your safety. Uh, it's hard to be an usher. Uh, Brother uh, Daryl's resigned as head usher three times during this thing. No, he hadn't really, but he probably wanted to. No, he. I, I thank him often. He says, no, it's just my chance to serve God. And so, folks, we're trying to keep it as safe as we can, and I'm a little insulted if you don't think it's safe because I'm going to tell you something. We're safer than Walmart. Amen. We're safer than the beauty parlor. Amen. We're, hey, we're sa- hey, we're safer than Pigeon Ford. I'll tell you that right now. They wasn't nobody social distance that place amen we had a scavenger hunt so I stayed away from the shops and wore my mast and it was something amen and we rented a big old room that was you know everybody scattered out it's hard to teach people when they're scattered out on a couple's retreat I mean they were so socially distanced the husband and wives didn't even sit together <laughs> no not really I'm only kidding but um, I thought I thought my word Preacher's got a lot of courage to try to do this. And some people criticized him, and I'm sure he got home and caught, caught some flack. It's all pastor, pastors in the crossfire. But uh, all we're doing is trying to keep it safe. And we're trying to keep it clean. And we're trying to keep it uh, distance. And it, it's not my personality. It's yours maybe, but it's not mine. Amen? I tell you what, I like to be close. Uh, and so be patient. This thing's not over yet. It's getting better. I think it's safer to get it now than it was back then. You ought to pray for our president. And if you're basking and and in joyful that our president's come down with it, you need to get right with God. Amen. Amen. If, if Biden got it, I wouldn't be boasting about it. Amen. I wouldn't be gloating about it. And so we need to we need to realize that God's hand and, and, and this chastening hand is trying to get our attention. And I learned a long time ago when my mother started whooping me, don't run, amen? Don't fight and don't get distant. Matter of fact, I found a key. Children, listen to me now. You want, you want some advice on how to lessen the pain and whipping? Get as close as you can to her because she can't swing then, amen? I mean, snuggle up, uh, hug them even, amen, when they're, when they're trying to spank you and uh, they can't get a full swing. But anyway... Uh, that's just some Cofield theology. I thought y'all would enjoy that before we start the message. Amen. All right, let's start with verse 1. Uh, we'll review a little bit because I did not preach last week. And Brother Steve Gregor preached a great message. And my son-in-law, Brother Mark, preached a great message. And I was only kidding about being partial. I try to treat all our missionaries equal. Amen. Now, personally, she's still my daughter. Amen. But we try to spread it all out equal and no partiality. Let's stay in all the Word of God. Great Sunday school lesson. I know the children enjoyed it. And uh, let's, let's, uh, let's pray for Wednesday night that somebody else. That's two Wednesday nights we've had Master Club, and both Wednesday nights somebody's got saved. I mean, that's four saved so far. And two of them was in the auditorium. I mean, the sanctuary is a blessing. I'm excited. I'm excited about what God's doing in our church. Wherefore, seeing we're also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin, the sin, I was going to preach on that, which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now listen to verse 2, it'll, it'll touch your heart. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, for who the joy was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, 
lest ye be weary and faint in your minds. Ye have not resisted unto blood striving against sin. You have not yet resisted unto blood striving unto sin. In other words, you haven't been to Calvary like Jesus did. Look at verse 5. Ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Can you take a little rebuke? And whom the Lord, it says, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. And ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is, <clears throat> is he whom the Father chasteneth not? Isn't that a great question? And it says, But, you're, but if you're without chastening, wherefore all, all are partakers, then you are bastards. Illegitimate, you're really not saved, and not sons. Furthermore, we have had a fa we had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be subjection to the Father of the spirits and live? For they verily, for a few days, chasten us after their own pleasure. But he, for our profit, that ye might be partakers of holiness. In verse eleven, now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, after it, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. You may be seated as I pray. Father, thank you for the good service, the good singing. Thank you for Brother Randy's faithfulness, Lord. I know sometimes he sings because he's saved and he don't feel like it, but he sings. Lord, just as I preach sometimes when I don't feel good, God, we just thank you for his faithfulness. We thank you for your faithfulness, dear God. You've been so good to us. And Lord, you're even faithful to whip us, to correct us, to get our attention, to knock the props out of us when we get in the wrong lane, when we get out of the will of God. So Lord, teach us something about the chastening hand of God today and help us to be more like you as a result of our submission. We faint not when we're rebuked of you. We'll thank you and praise you for every soul that's saved, for every Christian that realizes that maybe they're under the chastening hand of God and they need to get right with God. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the promptings of consecration, the witnesses are not just spectators in heaven, but they're men and ladies that's given their life for the Lord that's been faithful, in season, out of season. And chapter 12 begins with a short exhortation about consecration, which means total dedication, sanctification. And the writer of Hebrews, which I believe is Paul, uses a foot race as a figure of the Christian life to emphasize consecration should have, that we should have like running a race. Number one, I want you to see the preparation of consecration. You know, it says laying aside every weight. Now, a weight's not a sin. A weight's a hindrance. A weight's not something uh, bad. It's just something that comes before God. Uh, you can be weighted down by yourself, and you can be weighted down by your ambitions, and you can be weighted down by your money and your work. Uh, you can be definitely weighted down by your pride. And so, folks, there's hindrances. And when those hindrances get in the way, they do become sin. And I believe there's a sin that so easily besets us, and I don't think that sin or the sin that we I've heard preach, and I probably preached it too in the 8,000 messages I preached here, wrong, is that, you know, everybody's got some sin that they they have a weakness. I'm going to tell you something, friend. We all have weaknesses. We all have many sins. It's not just one sin, but sometimes... Uh, the devil uses the foothold uh, of pornography or the foothold of a, of a prideful spirit or the foothold of drinking or the foothold of some terrible sin and it gets a hold of our life. It takes residence in our life. It sets up a kingdom, give no place to the devil, the Bible says. That means jurisdiction. But I believe this sin, the sin, is the sin of unbelief, going back to chapter 11 and going to the whole theme of Hebrews. These Christians, Judaizers, were going back to the law. 
They were going back after they were saved. And he says, don't go back to the shadows. That's unbelief. Don't go back to law keeping. That's unbelief. Don't go back to the form. You've got the real uh, person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have a higher priesthood. You have a higher tabernacle. Praise God, you've got a higher law, and that's grace. So we ought to live by faith. We ought, not, we ought to let, let up. And then we see the pattern of our consecration in chapter verse 2. It says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. How many has ever had somebody you really admired spiritually fall flat on their face and go into sin, get out of the ministry? I was telling the folks up at uh, the couples retreat, the marriage retreat, about uh, we were teaching on bitterness and how bitterness is a foothold in a, in a, in a family's life. We've got a war against bitterness, and we'll deal with that next week uh, in this chapter. And I remember the time that my, my pastor committed adultery with, his, with the secretary of the church, and then a couple, uh, a couple years later uh, killed his wife, got away with it, had scratches on his face at the funeral where she fell in the shower. And folks, I want to tell you something. I almost, and Miss Connie almost, got bitter, and we almost got out of, the, out of the ministry because of that tragedy. We got our eyes off Jesus. We prayed and fasted for three days down there in a little hotel apartment where we lived and said, God, help us find a place to, uh, to get out of the ministry. And God says, you ain't finished. I ain't finished with you yet. I'd have never come to Dalton if I'd have got bitter. And I'll tell you this, if I didn't conclude that bitterness and forgive that that pastor, for what he did, I couldn't put up with the stuff I put up with the last 42 years because I'd have got bitter at you. I'm not saying you in general, but I'm, yeah, in general I'm saying you, not particularly. And folks, bitterness will eat your lunch. And folks, some people get bitter at God. And some people can't take the chastening hand of God. I want to tell you something, folks. Christ is our pattern. He didn't get bitter he didn't, he didn't get detoured. He didn't get uh, revengeful. He just kept going to Calvary because he knew the goal of his life was to get to Calvary and die for you. His love drew him to Calvary. And the devil tried to get him prideful. The devil tried to plant bitterness in his heart. And folks, look at the example. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despising the shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Folks, it was a shameful death. It was shameful that his own people screamed out, crucify him, crucify him. Set up the ungodly trials. He went through three of them. Set up the scourge. And, and folks uh, condoned the crucifixion. He came to redeem them. And the Jews rejected him. He could have got bitter. Or he could have just wiped them out. But what did he do? He loved them. And he still loves them. And he still loves you. And so we see the pattern of consecration in verse 2 and 4. But look at verse, at verse uh, 4. It says this. It says, or 3. For consider him that endured such contradictions of sinners against himself, lest ye be weary and faint in your what? Minds discouragement. Here is a way not to be discouraged. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Amen. Keep your eyes on the Father. Hey, go back to Calvary. And see what he did for you and what he endured for you. Shame on you for quitting. Shame on you for being unfaithful. I'm preaching to myself. Folks, in light of his faithfulness, who are we to quit? Who are we to get bitter at somebody that hurts us? Who are we to hold a grudge or better said, a grudge holds you? But it happens every day in the church. It happens every day in families. Folks, there's a lot of bitter people on the streets burning stuff up and killing people. And folks, I want to tell you something. We got to get better than that. We got to get, we got to get back to God. That's the only hope for our nation. Only hope. And so I see the preeminence of the pattern. In verse uh, 3, it says, Jesus, the author and finisher for our faith. And folks, I see the perspective in our pattern in verse 2. It says, who uh, endured the cross. What a perspective to go on. Amen. I'm going to tell you something, friend. When I look at what Jesus did for me, 
I am motivated to be faithful. When I look to Calvary, I'm thankful, but I want to be faithful. I want to be like Christ, and you're never more like Christ than when you're faithful. He's a faithful God, say amen. He's a faithful Savior. He keeps you saved. He's a faithful Father. He answers your prayers. He's a faithful Father. He's present. He's ever present in the time of need. There's a lot of desertion going on around here. With fathers, deadbeat fathers that forsake their children. And deadbeat mothers that forsake their children. I don't know how a person can be so hard-hearted to leave their children on the streets of sin and go their merry way. There's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of kids that have no mama or daddy because both of them are in jail in America. It's unreal how many kids are homeless. Folks, the uh, foster system's swamped and, and the judicial system can't hear all the trials. and it's, it's, a, it's a tragedy. It all started in the home. God's, God is scourging our, our God is whipping. He, he's, he's, he's scourging, chasing every son whom he receives. I want you to see real quick, and I'll get to the message. I want you to see the position and the pattern. He sat down in verse 2, the last phrase. It is finished. He is risen, and he's ascended, and he's sitting on the right hand of God. And I'm going to tell you something. He's not wringing his hands trying to think what he's going to do with your life. Praise God. He's in control. Amen. The peace of God can be in your heart if you realize where Jesus is. He's risen. He's ascended. And he's on the right hand of God. Amen. The next time you want to give up, why don't you look up? Next time you want to get mad, why don't you look to Calvary and see how wonderful it is to be forgiven and then forgive others. Then we see the perseverance of, in this pattern. In verse 4 it says, You have not yet resisted in the blood, striving against sin. Christ experienced much greater suffering than these readers, these, these Hebrews these Jews that were going back to shadows and substance and temple worship and priest worship. And folks, he said, listen, the Lord scourged and chasing every son of you received. Don't get weary and don't faint in your faith. Consider Jesus. Consider him. Consider him. I'll make a great message. Just consider Jesus. And then I want you to see, last but not least, Verse 5 through 11, and we'll get into this uh, a little bit after the Lord's Supper tonight, is that we got to be reminded about the chastening hand of God. You know, when you get out of your lane or you just flub up real good in this race, thank God you got a divine coach that's going to eat your lunch at the end of the game. And folks, I'm going to tell you something. We uh, athletes, uh, athletes, I'm no longer an athlete, I used to be. But, uh, man, they can take all kinds of abuse from their coach so they can play in the next game. That's right. They want to stay on the team. They definitely don't want to sit the bench, and they'll do anything that that coach says do to get back off the bench. Say amen. All you ex-athletes, your chest is done falling to your stomach and your backpack slipped around to the front, you're not running anymore. But I want to say this, friend. I have a divine coach that can put me on the bench anytime I want to, but I want to tell you something, running is one of the hardest sports there is because everything in you starts burning. All you long-distance runners, please stand up. No. Uh, uh, you, you, uh, you, your, your heart stops, starts pounding, and your legs start giving out. Hey, man, I mean, listen, the other day I ran and ran and ran and ran and I was so out of breath, I couldn't hardly stand it. And finally, I just hit the button on my elliptical and stepped off. Amen. <laughs> so that's it. 20 minutes is that. That's, that's it. Praise God. Amen. I had it on one, one half mile an hour. I don't, I don't know why I got tired. But I want to tell you something. I'm trying to stay in shape. Y'all can tell. But I want you to see this in verse 5 real quick. You have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, 
He chaseth every and scourges every son whom he receiveth. I'll tell you how you can tell if you're in the family of God. I'm going to tell you real quick how you can tell if you're saved this morning. When you sin, you don't get away with it. Because you have a heavenly father that's on your trail. I had a mama like that. She had a curfew on me. She let me sleep in the basement. They made a, not a dirt basement, it was an apartment. Like it, was a bed, it was a bedroom. Amen, it was a bedroom. Sometimes I'd try to slip in at 12.01. And I will tell you something, my mother had a divine sensor in the back of her head or something. And buddy, the light would come on and she'd yell down the steps, two, minute, two minutes late. I said, Mom, I was with Miss. I was with Connie. You love her, and uh, he wanted me. She wanted me to propose to her four years before I did. It took me four years to get up the courage. Well, I'm glad she waited on a dingbat slow poke. And my mother loved me enough to correct me. My mother loved me enough to have some boundaries in my life. And I don't curse her today. I call her blessed. And folks, who are we to rebuke the chastening hand of God? And folks, what you can rejoice in, if you are chastened by God, you are a part of the family of God. Amen. Amen. You, he knows you, and you know him. And so, friend, listen, you can sin just like you did before you got saved, but you won't get away with it. And if you do get away with it, you better check up and see if you're saved. Because whom the Lord loveth, he scourges and chastens every son he receives. I love that, don't you? I'm glad that when I get out of my lane, I got a divine coach that says, get back in there. I'm glad when I fall down or fall out or fall into sin or fall into self that he picks me up and corrects me and says, go on and run the race. I died for you. I love you. But I must whip you. You know, sometimes God uses adverse conditions and trials and tribulations to discipline us. So many people are upset with God about this pandemic. Yeah, they are. They won't admit it, but their master ministry is gone. And their ministry has become their master. They live for the ministry instead of the master. God has a right to do anything he wants to anytime he wants to in your life. And I want to tell you something, you ought to trust God enough to know it's for the best. Well, I can't see it. That's because you're not God. How many times was you whipped and corrected by your, your, child, or your mother or daddy and you didn't understand why they were so upset about your little sin? I'll tell you why, because they knew that little sin was going to be a bigger one. Say amen. Time I shot my... Went out with 153 BBs. Thank you, friendship class, for giving me that little trophy. My mother wore me out and my best friend that taught me into it. And we ran from that asthmatic mama and got another whipping, amen? And she whooped us both with a hickory switch, Brother Randy. It was a wonderful experience. And now I hate hunting. I don't shoot. I, I mean... I hope the security team's armed and well and, and all, everything. Y'all just stay on the duty. Um, but I want to tell you something, friend. I just don't carry one. Because every time I touch a gun, I feel warm in a certain place. Amen. <laughs> but my mother was telling me, listen, you're going to be shooting somebody else's window out. You're going to be shooting somebody else's life out. Folks, you're not going to get away with that little sin because that little sin is a bigger sin. And by the way, that wasn't too little a sin to blow out a window with 153 BBs. Don't do that at home, children. Don't try that at home. It'll get you in a lot of trouble. But I had a mother that loved me. And I call her blessed. I had a mother that corrected me. You ought to thank God you had a father or mother that warned you about sin. But then when you fell into sin, they corrected you and then they loved you and didn't disown you. These Jaybird, Armenians, Church of God, Assembly of God, people think that God's going to disown you. That's an insult to these verses. God does not disown you. 
God corrects you. God disciplines you. God whips you. God corrects you. And He loves us enough to keep us in the family of God, but He wants you to be more like Him, and so therefore, He knows the ways of sin, and He's trying to help you not stay in that lane. Let me close by saying this. The recipients of the chastisement is the true children of God. Amen? Sin is a reproach to any people. But I want to tell you something, folks. Righteousness exalts a nation. Um, I love lamentations. I was thinking about this when Brother Randy was singing that song, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Chapter 3, verse 22. It says, It is the Lord's mercy that we're not consumed because His compassion fell not. And look, folks, it says, They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And I want to tell you what's compassion. Correcting your children. Spanking your children. Some of you don't believe in that. I'm going to tell you something. You're going against the Bible. Seven times in the book of Proverbs it says you ought to spank your children. I'm going to tell you why you ought to spank your children. Y'all smile on the third row there, children. I'm going to tell you why. It's a great lesson. It's a great lesson. That the, that the consequences of sin is worse than the pleasure of sin. That's a great lesson. And Romans 6.23 says, the wage of sin is death. Folks, we need to learn that lesson. That's why it says in Proverbs 23, verse 15, if you spank your children, you'll spare them from hell. It don't mean you'll beat the hell out of them. It don't mean you'll beat the devil out of them. Because you couldn't do that. And there's a lot of children that's got, they're full of both of them. Amen? There's a lot of people in this nation are full of that. Sin, the devil, hellish attitudes, terrible, wicked. I want to tell you something. Our Lord loves them. And all lives do matter to Him. And thank God, folks, chastening shows love. Chastening shows love. Law and order shows love. Come on, amen. What is this nation smoking? I'll tell you what they're smoking. Dope. It's pathetic. Let's just disband the whole police force. Let's just, you know, let everybody do what they want to do. That was the attitude in the days of the, of ju of the judges. The folks, the Bible says this. Don't quit. Don't despise the chasing of the Lord. Don't faint. When he rebukes you, rejoice and thank God that you're a child of God and that you have a father that knows best. And he loves you. And I had to be reminded often when my mother would wear me out, she loves me. She really loves me. I'd have to repeat it out loud sometimes. I think she loves me. She's about to kill me, but I think she loves me. But I need it. Then we see the, not only the recipients of the chastening, it shows love, and shows we have a heavenly father, but I see the relationship in the chastening. The relationship in the chastening. Look at verse 7. And, and my time's up, but I want to show you this. It says, if you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is, it, is he whom the father chasteneth not? Folks, I want to tell you something. It's just natural that fathers ought to discipline their children and mothers also. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 1 that the law of the mother, there's a law of the mother. I found out that law, and if you break that law, I can tell you there's a sheriff called Mama. Amen. She'll track you down. It was wonderful. Blessed is her name. I want you to know lack, lacking discipline says you are not even a son. This explains why believers often seem to experience more afflictions than unbelievers. God chastens only his sons. Others will later have that judgment in hell forever. They may get it by easy in this life, but folks, I want to tell you something. Harvest time's not just on this earth. There is a payday someday. Say amen. amen. We need to realize that. 
And then I see that we ought to have not only the relationship in chastisement, but we ought to have the respect in chastisement. Look at verse 9. It says, Furthermore, we have, we've had fathers of our flesh that corrected us, and we gave them reverence. We gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of the Spirit and live? Folks, the devil comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And he's doing a pretty good job of it, of America and the whole world. And I believe with all my heart, six months ago, the Lord said, I've had enough. You blaspheme my name all over the world. I created the world. I sustained the world. I've had enough. I'm going to get your attention. I'm going to get your attention. I'm going to help you to realize this. You don't have the answer for everything. And neither do politicians. Say amen. I don't care if you're publican or horse or donkey. I don't, I don't answer either one of them. But I want to say this, friend. God is merciful. And God is trying to get our attention. And it could get worse before it gets better. And it will in the tribulation. If you hang around for that, you better get saved. I just want to say this. He's on the throne. And he's merciful. And he loves you. But he will not put up with sin. You cannot live like you want to. I wish the younger generation could, could, could sense that. You ought to thank God if you've got parents that discipline you. And one of the greatest disciplines they have is they bring your little self to Sunday school at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 6 o'clock, Master Club on 6.55 every Wednesday. It's discipline. We're going to church. We're not going to vote on it. Junior don't want to go, so let's all stay at home. No! The discipline of the house of God is necessary. The word of God is the boundary. We need to reverence it. We need to respect it because it's God's word. Not Wayne Cofield's word. It's God's word. And thanks be to God, if he wants to correct us in every page, we ought to take it and say, praise God, that's what I need. Amen. Thou shalt not is not a restraint. It is liberty. There's liberty in the, where the spirit of God dwelleth. And there's liberty in the will of God. And there's liberty in his thou shalt nots. Amen. Told that story at the retreat this weekend. Because most of those people were Auburn fans for some reason, and they were Alabama fans. You know, it's so easy to root for Alabama, brother Bobby. Man, they win all the time. Good night. Try to root for Tennessee. That's humbling. Say amen, Ed. <laughs> They're doing good. I heard, you know, I heard that story when that little Whippanese dog, that little Pekingese. Chihuahua, that's what it is. Where'd I get that? Chihuahua, that uh, I think about Taco Bell every time I tell this illustration. Matter of fact, I might go there for lunch. I'm really desperate. But, uh, and uh, he was yip, 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 yip. I want out, I want out, I want out, he was saying in dog language. And Ugga comes walking down the street. Ugga, not hound dog, dog, or whatever he is. Blue or what, I don't know. But Ugga comes down the sidewalk, has his fork in one hand, spoon in the other, and napkin around his neck, and he says, I hope you do get out. Now, where is that little Pekingese sissy dog free? Out in the world or in the master's boundary of his fence? And see, the world wants to be free. The world wants to do what they want to do and the world wants to live like they want to live. But I want to tell you something, friend. There is liberty in the will of God and there's liberty in the chastisement of the Father's hand. He loves you enough to correct you. You ought to fear God. Some people don't fear God anymore. They don't reverence God anymore. Folks, we ought to fear God. I don't mean we ought to be afraid of him, but I'm telling you what, I'm afraid of what he could do. He can take your marriage and destroy it, the devil. 
And if you're out of the will of God and you're not in the perfect will of God, I'm telling you what, He can He can get your attention. The Lord can. He can get your attention. I wish America would get get under God's attention. I wish America would come back to God and, and be attentive on what God's trying to say. I want to tell you what God's saying. You have forsaken me. You have forsaken my words. You've made the house of God a show. Nothing but a drama. You've left me out, and behold, I stand at the door and knock. At the average church, the Lord's outside trying to get back in. It has nothing to do with salvation. Revelation 3.20, we use it a lot of times, but it has about the Laodicean church that says it's people run, congregation sovereign. We'll do what we want to do. We'll worship the way we want to worship. We'll put the music we want in here, and we'll have the message that will help everybody's ears tingle, and they'll think more of themselves. They'll have a better self-image. And, folks, God, God's image is what counts in this church. And I'm going to tell you something. God's trying to get our attention. And you can either run and rebel, and it's going to get worse, or you can cuddle up next to him and say, I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Father, I will not do that again. Father, I love you. And you have proved to me that you're my father because you are scourging me and you are chasing me. You know what the America needs, and I want to tell you what you need and what I need? We need a good dose of humility. We're not self-sufficient. We do not have all the answers. And number three, we need God. We need God. Look at it. Furthermore, we have our fathers and our faith who corrected us. But we have not reverenced the Father that gives us the Spirit and live. And folks, the results or the, the, the reasons for this chastisement is found in verse 10. For they verily for a few days chasten us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Folks, we ought to respect his chastening. We ought to realize the reason and the results of his chastening is this. He wants you to be more like him. I love the next verse. I'll just read these two verses and we'll go. It says, Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, after it, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of what? Righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Two words that get my attention in this verse. Righteousness and peace. Peaceable righteousness. I'll just say this in closing. I'm trying to find a place to park. You'll never Never have peace until you're right. You'll never have happiness until there's holiness. And the Lord spanks us. The Lord corrects us. The Lord scourges us. The Lord allows some terrible things to happen in our life. For what reason? To make you godly. To make you holy. And folks, we ought to thank God for a God that wants us to yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is reproach. 40% of all rapes, school dropouts, child abuse, welfare dependence are from fatherless homes. 72% of all adolescent murders grew up without a father. Single moms, Single dads, you need God to raise your children. And you need the local church. And folks, you need to realize that God Almighty loves you enough to come looking for you when you get out of your lane, when you go AWOL, when you go out into the depths of sin. And I'm going to tell you what he does. Sometimes he breaks the leg of the little lamb, puts him up on his shoulder, and carries him back to the flock of the will of God. I thank God 
I thank God for the 11 months I didn't walk because I was so stubborn that I got out of the will of God and started doing things on Sunday night that I shouldn't have been doing, playing soccer. So I'd get my little scholarship at, at Georgia State University. And God allowed me to be broken in half under the knee, tibia and fibula. I still didn't learn my lesson, Brother Randy. And I said, I'm just going to do what I want to do, and I'm not definitely going to surrender to preach and pastor and go to some place like South Georgia, much less South Africa. And it didn't heal. And they went back in there and broke the bone that did heal. They took bone off my hip, and they patched it. And for four more months, I had the long leg cast on and couldn't walk. And I was a desperate maniac trying to get out of my bedroom and couldn't. But those eight months changed my life. And I promised God if I ever walked again, I would not walk for sports. Sorry, all you sports fanatics. I would not walk for my fame. I would not walk for the applause of this world. Wouldn't walk for money. But I'd walk as close to the Father who chastened me as I possibly could. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the message. Lord, I know that you're a mighty God and you never just try to hurt us. But sometimes, Lord, you allow us to get hurt that we might be helped. And God, may we reverence you as a holy Father that makes no mistake. May we reverence you as a loving Father that wants us to yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness in our life. With every head bowed, every eye closed, invitation is going to be right to the point. Let me say, preacher, I need to fear God more. There's some things in my life that are displeasing to God. And there's a whole lot of things in my life that are weights. They're not really sin, but they just come before God. TV, my schedule. Whatever is in your life that comes before God, it's a weight. It's a weight. It's a weight. A family member, even your mate can become before God, and that's a sin. Nothing should come before God. I'm going to say this. God can take your little gods away from you, and God can get your attention, and God will do it because He wants you to love Him with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. Let me say, preacher, God spoke to my heart. And I thank God he's my father. I know I'm saved. But I know I need to draw closer to God in consecration and dedication and surrender. And that's my prayer this morning. Would you slip your hand up high for prayer? Yes. 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 I see those hands. Some of the best members in this church raising their hand. Yes, I see those hands. Some of the godless people I know is raising their hands. Why? Because we can all get closer. We can all be more humble. We can all be more submissive to the hand of God. It's trying to get our attention. Anybody else? I love the Heavenly Father, don't you? You can pray, Our Father which art in heaven, you're blessed. You ought to pray, Hallowed be thy name. And if you don't, he can get your attention. Anybody else? How many say, preacher, I got a backslidden loved one and I want him to be merciful. But I really pray that when he, when he does discipline them, that they will listen. You might have a wayward son, wayward child, wayward wife, wayward husband, wayward friend. And you'd say, preacher, pray with me for them that they'll be receptive to the chastening hand of God because I know it's coming. Matter of fact, it's already started. They have no peace. That's the first thing I believe the Lord takes away from you when you're out of the will of God. No peace. No peace. I want you to pray with me for them. Would you slip your hand up high on their behalf? I got several in my family. They don't ever darken the doors of the church. They don't even think about it. God bless you. Some are in the wrong church. They don't preach the gospel of grace. Oh, I'm burdened for them. 
And one last thing in this invitation. I mean, say, preacher, and I love y'all. That's why I preach straight. You know that. I'm not apologizing for the message, but if any of y'all are offended, come on down to the altar. We'll pray together. But how many say, preacher, I'm not saved, but I sure would like to be saved. I sure need a heavenly father that will correct me. I'm tired of being on my own. I'm going to ruin my life in sin. Yes, I'm free, I thought, but that freedom is a trap. It's a highway to hell. I need you to pray for me. I'll get saved. Would you slip your hand up real high for prayer? You're not saved, but you'd like to be saved. Anyone? Real quick, I'll pray for you. Anyone? I see that hand, sir. God bless you for being so honest. Anybody else? I see that hand. But more important, God sees that hand because he's looking down for a broken and contrite heart he'll not despise. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you, dear God. We could went through David's life and saw where he lost a baby and lost his son and, oh, God, almost lost his sanity. Daughter raped. Son got drunk. Son died prematurely. Lord, we know it's all the chastening hand of God in David's life. But I thank you, dear God, that he came back. Psalms 51 proves it. He confessed and got right. Lord, your chastening hand withdrew from him and your blessed hand led him to write most of the Psalms. Thank you, God, for your mercy. Pray for these that raise their hand and need to draw closer. And I pray for these, God, that have already left mentally, emotionally, checked out. God, get their attention, please. Pray for these that's listening by way of internet. They'd fear God. I'm not the judge. The Lord, you know their heart. You know they if if they had the opportunity, they'd be here today. God, you know their heart's desire. And that's what counts. Lord, I pray for our loved ones. Well, there's some people here that I know, I've read their spirit. They're heartbroken over their loved ones. They're either lost, or they're so away from God, the chastening hand of God started on their life. God, please bring them back or bring them in. We'll thank you in Jesus' name.